There's a word you hear people talk about out, out in the Christian world, and it's the word revival. People sometimes pray for revival. Why is he revival in our city, in our families, in our nation? In the desire for revival, one thing you see that whenever there's revival, you often see there's often godly leadership at the front of revival. We're going to read 2 Chronicles today, 2 Chronicles 34, if you want to turn there. 2 Chronicles 34. When you read the history of Israel, leadership could take the nation to a place of great dishonor to the Lord, or a leader could bring the nation towards revival. Leadership matters. As believers in Christ, I, I have been asked by many people, I get emails about it, people ask me in conversation, they say, Ernesto, are you going to deal with the midterms from the platform? No, I'm not. So you know, I'm not. But I will say this. We do believe that whoever wins the election, God has put them there. And we believe as a people, we pray for those in leadership. We pray for our mayor. We pray for our governor. We pray for our president. Even if our person don't win, we pray for our leadership. We try as a people. I try as a person to speak well of our leaders. One time on TV, there was a leader, a political leader on TV, and I was in a mood, and I, I said bad things to the TV guy. And my daughter goes, Dad, you call him this name? I was like, yes. She's like, well, doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to pray for him? Yes. So I got to think, I mean, even at home, I got to watch my mouth. It's awful. Um, but, uh, but we believe, we pray for our leadership, okay? We, whoever wins, we respect, we pray for, and we ask God to use them to help our nation. When you turn to Chronicles 34, you find a nation in disarray. The nation of Judah has had bad leaders for quite a while. When you read the story of Israel, you have David and then Solomon. Then a civil war that breaks the nation into two pieces. Ten tribes go north, two tribes go south. The ten tribes of north never have a good leader. Every leader they have, every single leader leads the people to dishonor God and to do his evil in his sight. And the nation is it's troubled. And eventually, it is destroyed. Well, after Israel, the north falls, Judah, the south, still exists. These two tribes, Judah Benjamin, are still down there. They're still alive. They've just had a terrible king named Manasseh. I know his name because in Bible college, we always called him Nasty Massey. I never forgot that. Nasty Massey, the worst king in Judah's history. And Nasty Massey was so evil, God's like, you've brought so much evil towards my people, and they followed you so, so happily towards that evil, Judah will also fall into ruin. Into this chaos... In his idolatry, a young boy named Josiah is born. This is what the word says of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He becomes king at eight years old. It's a good birthday present. Um, 
I can't imagine being king when I was eight. If I was, if I was king when I was eight, the national animal of my country would have been like a fox. That would have been bad. But he comes king at eight, and this is what happens. It says this. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That, that language you don't see very often in the books of the kings. Most of the time, these guys do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. There are very few good leaders, and this leader, Josiah, he is given the highest of praise. He sought the God of his father, David. He did not turn to the right or the left. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He's a righteous man. Angie, can you go turn the AC down? I think the heat might be on. You've got to go to cool and then push down a few buttons. To... Is it warm? I'm not crazy. The body heat raises it so fast in here. Ooh. You should get a little cool to cool, babe. Awesome. Okay. So, Josiah is called a good and godly man. In that day, what does it take to be called a good and godly man? In that world, in the nation of Israel, to be called righteous. Righteousness came from obedience. It came from faithfulness to the covenant. So in the Old Testament, in Israel, under the law of God, righteousness was simply obedience to the covenant, obedience to the Ten Commandments, obedience to the laws of Moses. That was how you were righteous. You were faithful to the covenant. If you did what the, what the Old Testament Bible said, you were considered righteous. Obedience, action, faithfulness created righteousness. Now the thing is, that's not what righteousness is anymore. A lot of people still think, if I want God to like me, if I want God to hear my prayers, if I want blessing, I got to behave. I need to do what's right, and then God will like me, and maybe he'll give me a raise in my allowance. That's how we think of God. If I do what God likes, he'll consider me righteous and give me cool things. That is not the covenant we're under. That was how things were done under the law. And thanks be to God, the law, that time has ended because none of us can beat that game. That's like playing the old Atari video games. They're just, they're impossible to beat and there is no actual end of the game. So how are we declared righteous in this world? It's very simple. Back then, you were declared righteous by being faithful to the covenant. Nowadays, we're declared righteous by having faith in Christ. Our righteousness is now given. We put our faith and love in the person of Christ. We go to the cross and say, I can't, but you can. I am not, but you are. I am unable, but you are able. And I put all of my eggs in his basket. I trust him and him alone. I'm like, man, when God sees me, When I stand before God someday, he's not going to say, Ernesto, what'd you do? What did you do with this life I gave you? He's going to look at me and say, ah, you are in my son. Come and enter into this house. Come and enter. You are clothed in Christ. You are united with Jesus. Come into this house. You're part of the family. You're part of the family. Being part of the family is something you cannot lose. Like, for good, bad, or ugly, if you're part of a family, 
Come on, be careful of the illustration I'm going to use today. I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay? This is not true. I, I, okay, so I have sisters, okay, in Texas. They're not here. I can, I can talk about them. My brothers are both in the room. I can't talk about, talk about the brothers. So my sisters aren't here, so... Yeah, well, Lisa Yvonne, I'm sorry. Um, let's say me and a sister, we have a fight. Let's say one of my, what's your sister's kids called? We have, what if, let's say one of my nephews gets married. And I'm all pumped about it. Our nephew's getting married. Oh, this is going to be great. And I don't get invited to the wedding. Oh, bad blood, hurt feelings. How could they? And now I'm angry at my sister. There's, there's a rift between us. Even in the midst of that rift, even in the midst of our animosity, guess what? She's still my sister, and I'm still her brother. We might not be talking. We not, might, might be calling every week, but we're still blood-related. Our position has not changed. This is true with us and the Lord. If we are in Christ, our position with Christ does not change even when we're really dumb. So listen. Back in the day, you were made righteous by faithfulness to the covenant. But we are made righteous by our faith in Christ. That's where we start. But here's the thing. Even though we are positionally righteous, even though I am called family, I can have bad blood with the people in my family. I'll say it like this. Well, let's go ahead. We'll go forward a little further. See what happens next. So, 34, we'll go to verse 3. In the eighth year of this kid's reign, so he's 16 years old, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved and metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. I'll stop right there. Josiah wants to worship the God of his father, David. He goes, man, I want to go to God, but there's all these idols in the land. He goes, in order to get ready to meet God, i got to tear all these bad things down. I have to take all these things that are in the way and tear them down so we can get to God once again. So I'm going to use a big metaphor. Here we go, an, an, an advanced metaphor. At my house, I have a garage. Many of you probably have garages or sheds at your house. My garage for years has been a catch-all, which means if I have something, I don't know where it goes, you know where I put it? In the garage. I, mean, I just throw it in there. I don't give a rip. And over seven years of life, you know what happened in that garage? It became unmanageable. I didn't know what was in there. Listen, I would need a tool sometimes. I look in the garage, and I'm like, I think that tool's in there. I don't know where to find it. I don't want to, if I, if I start looking for it, I'm getting mad because it's so, everything is so disorganized. I'm like, so I would, I honestly, I would buy the same tool two or three times. So I'm like, I'm not getting involved in that mess. There was one, I mean, there are days, there have been days, so Monday's my day off. I have had Mondays that have been ruined trying to find a single thing in that garage. Over the years, it got cluttered. It was so cluttered, I didn't even want to go inside it. 
So the day is, I, I got to deal with this garage. This garage is a mess. I realized in order to deal with this garage, I'm going to have to throw stuff away. And so I started taking things, putting them on Facebook Marketplace. I sold like, all, I had so much random crap in there. Someone just threw away because no one wanted to buy it because it was that gross. And, but in my mind, I thought someday I might need this random piece of wood. I, I didn't know, you know. But I began giving it away and getting rid of the clutter. And you know what happened? You know what happened? I started seeing things and finding tools. And there was a walkway into the garage. It was incredible. Now listen, I say a lot to say this. Even though I have been called righteous by God because I'm in Christ. Our relationship can be distant. I can be far from God even though I still belong to him. Do you understand? I can still be my sister's brother, but because of relational strife, I can be far away from her. In the same way, though I am in Christ, because I have wandered, there can be distance between us. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to find him. I feel like, where are you? I know we're family, but I don't know how to get back into your loving arms. Sometimes there's so much clutter, we can't find our way back. And for us, in managing our relationship with the Lord, sometimes it requires us to tear things down that should not be in our lives. Sometimes, if we want to unclutter our relationship with Jesus, it requires us to remove things that should not be. Josiah goes around Jerusalem and he tears down the idols that should not be in his land. The Baals, the Molech. Listen, Nasty Massey, which is Josiah's grandfather, he let the Philistines god of the Molech come into Israel and Molech was so evil, people would sacrifice their children to this false god. He allowed that in his backyard. And so Josiah's got to go and tear all that down. He's got to go into the temple because there are even bales in the temple of God. Josiah has to tear it all down. And listen, for us, here's the fact. There are going to be things in our lives that spring up that get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. It can be sin. If there is habitual, unrepentant sin in your life, that's going to get in the way. You're going to try to pray, and all you're going to feel is guilt. Because you know I'm being stupid, I'm playing the fool, and God's like, it's time to stop. You're like, I don't want to stop. Listen, I put that sin down. But for some of us, it's not sin. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick, and I'll read a passage that's changed my life. It's something I hold on to very strongly. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Which means what? There are some things I'm allowed to do. I am free in Christ, but some of those things are not good for me. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. He says it again. He says it again. He goes this. He repeats. He goes, all things are are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be ruled by anything. In my personal life, what do you do when you get stressed? I don't know. Everyone has their own stress things. For me, I love to watch stupid YouTube for hours. 
and I will watch nonsense. Like, I'm so stressed, I can't handle a 25-minute TV show. I need a three-minute cute kitty video. All, I'm saying, I go, I mean, I've, I've been doing a new thing. I've been watching, like, mechanics and the cars that come in and how bad they are. I, I will fall down the craziest black holes you ever dreamed of. And on my phone, what I'll do is I'll, like, look, go to, like, Reddit and look at memes. You know what memes are? Like, GIFs. And they're like dumb, and I'm like, <laughs> and I go, <laughs> and I listen, what happened is this. I wake up in the morning, I'm tired, got a whole day ahead of me, and I used to wake up, I'd pray, I'd shower, I'd walk my dogs in the Bible. It was a good morning, a good life. But then, instead of that, I started grabbing my phone first thing and falling into the gift farm, you know, and scrolling for half an hour, first thing. And I have no time to pray. I'd be running late. So I walk my dog for a mile. I walk my dog for like thinking a quarter mile. I, and the thinking, the, the, my, my, my jumping into the, it started growing in my life. 30 minutes became an hour. I'd be at home with the family. Instead of talking to my kids, engaging my wife, I'm just scrolling. I'm just scrolling up. Is that a sin? I'm not saying the internet's a sin. I'm not saying your cell phone's a sin. I'm saying I realized this thing's starting to rule over me. So I went into my phone with my wife, and I blocked all those sites. I wasn't doing evil on those places, okay? I just realized when I am tired, I run to this stuff instead of dealing with my people, instead of dealing with the Lord. I am running and hiding from my own life. I have to stop. So I put it down. Sometimes there are things between you and God, you got to tear them down. you got to tear them down. Not necessarily sins, but if anything in your life raises up to take God's spot, you got to knock that thing down. you got to get it out of your life. I had a buddy of mine who loved rebuilding old cars. He had this car's garage. It was sweet. I don't know what it was, but it was blue. Um, I'm not good at cars. It was a good blue, too. It was like a soft blue. I'm not good at colors either. It was sweet. It had, it had fins, though. It had fins. So it's old, right? That's old. It had fins on the sides. One day he comes to me and he goes, man, because I was praying to God and God spoke to me. What do you say? He goes, dude, I've spent so much time in my garage, spending so much money on the parts of that car. I'm missing my kids growing up. I'm not there for my family. And God told me I had to put it down. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, I'm selling the car. I was it evil? No. But it rose up to a place where it was too powerful in his life. He had to take it and tear it down to open up that row between him and the Lord. If you have things in your life that are between you and God, get rid of them. Tear them down. Now, I'm a dramatic person. It's true. I go, like, so I went from, like, an hour of memes to zero. That's, that's, that's cold turkey. In the morning, I, I miss it. I'm like, you're all gone, memes. Uh, <laughs> but I have to go big at first. Maybe when I get my control, I can go get, get a little back. We'll see what happens. Um, but the point I'm saying is this. Josiah had to go out into Jerusalem. He had to tear down all those idols. If there are things in your life between you and God, Kick them out. As Jesus once said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven blind 
than to go with two eyes and walk into hell. If you've got to put something down that's, that, that you like, man, listen, nowadays with gambling coming up, it's crazy. Like, listen, the commercials for gambling are nuts. If it starts grabbing a hold of you, get it off you, man. It might be fun. It might give you a dop- dop- dopamine hit when you win five bucks. But listen, that thing is meant to grab you and eat you. If it tries to grab you, get rid of it. No, you can't have me. If things try to get you, if they come too powerful in your life, you cut them off. Josiah cut down the idols in the same way we must cut down the idols of our own life. But Josiah did more. He did more than merely cut down the bad. In order to have a robust relationship with God, it's not just clearing the way. There's also this. This happens next. I go to verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Zaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So Josiah's like, man, I've cut down all these idols, but you know, I'm, I've tore down the bad, now I must rebuild the good. I must rebuild the good. So he sends his people over to go in the temple, and to, it's all like, it's fallen into, into ruin. So he's going to pay money to have workers come and to make it look beautiful again. He enters this big project to redo the temple. And the craziest thing happens. I jump down to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported the king, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord. They have given it to the hands of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest had given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. What's happening here? He told the guys, go into the temple, go into the treasury, get money, pay the workers, we're going to rebuild the temple. They go in there to find money, and as they're getting the money out of the temple, they find the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They don't know what the crap they are. The nation has been so far from God for so long, they forgot they had a book. Every, for them, their religion was tradition. They were so removed from God, his spoken voice, they forgot that God wrote anything down. For them, their faith had become superstition and not an engagement of the voice of God. And listen, it happened to them, it can happen to us. There was a study released just this last month. Those people who call themselves evangelical Christians, they asked them what they believe. They asked them, do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Like 68% of people said no, they did not believe that. 
the beliefs of those who called themselves Christians were completely, it was so far from the Bible, it was unbelievable. Because many people are culturally Christian and they've never opened the Bible up ever. You understand? Love Christmas, love Easter, they'll sing the songs, but they have, they've never opened this book. They have no idea what this book says about Jesus at all. It's, it's cultural. It's national. The nation had been gone so long. And so they open this book and they read it. And the king tears his clothes when he hears about the God of heaven and how God saved his people from slavery and how God gave them the law. He's like, what the stink have we been doing? And he rips his clothes like, we have done evil in God's sight. Josiah, it's crazy what he does next. Josiah calls this gigantic meeting of all the leaders of the nation. And over the course of weeks, they read the entire Bible out loud to all the people. That's wild, dude. Like, reading by yourself is already kind of boring. Imagine sitting and someone reading the entire Bible out loud for weeks. But the people, are they just sit there and they just listen like this is God's word for us. And then they institute the Passover. Because it says they had not done the Passover since the time of the judges. It had been like 600 years they had not had the festival. So Josiah institutes revival in the nation. And the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, it turns back to God. And that place becomes a haven for goodness, for love, for justice. Led by the faithfulness of a kid king. So we say, Josiah first, he tore down the bad. But then he had to rebuild the good. He rebuilt the temple, and then when he read the word of God, he brought back the feasts. He started, he instituted public reading of the scriptures in the kingdom. He had, a, he had a rebuild what was lost. So here's the thing. So for relationships to work, you don't want bad things between you, right? So I talked about, I had a cell crap out of my garage, right? First step for me, cleaning the garage, I sold the extra crap and made it, I can see, you know, whoa. Next step two for me was I built shelves. I bought a toolbox. Angie bought this um, bin for all the kids like toys, the Frisbees, the basketballs, the, the many, many bubble wands that we, I don't know why we have all of them, but all the things are in this bin now. And things have a place. We built spaces and we organized. You go here and you go here. I even got this pegboard. On the pegboard, all my like wrenches hang in size order from the little to the big. It's pretty. And now that it's organized, I used to hate going to the garage. Now I love going to the garage because everything has a place. If I need to run an errand, let's say I get a call from a neighbor, I need a pool. I'm like, do I have that tool? Just you wait. And I go in there, find the one tool. I'm Superman. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Listen, we need to clean up our lives. We get rid of the sin and the trouble. We also need to put things in our lives to help us draw near to the Lord. 
Not so he'll like us. We're not doing this to get points from God. We're doing these things because we want to be near to him. I don't, I don't pray because I hope if I pray enough, maybe God will give me a new toy. No, I pray because I miss the Lord and want to be near to his heart. Do you understand? There's a difference. We're not meant to be mercenaries. We're not buying God's blessings. Instead, we have been called family, and I want to be rightly related to my family. I'll make it down a little simple for us, okay? I want my kids to love me when they get older, right? When they leave the house, I want them to come back and say hello. I don't want them to hate me. I want them to like only come over once a year. I want them to be like, I love my daddy so much. And they come home and hug me. That's what I want. <sighs> I have an 11-year-old going on 16, dude. It's, it's hard. It's hard. She, she tells a dog she loves the dog when she loves me. It's, it's really, it's a hard life. <laughs> but um, I, I want, I want my wife. I don't. On Valentine's Day, I'll buy her something, okay? And I usually buy her more than a Speedway special. I do. Um, you guys know the Speedway special, right? The single rose and a, some chocolate from Speedway? You do that. I try to get her something nicer than that. I do. Most years. But I don't do that to get something. Not like, well, I give you a present, give me kisses. That's not what I do. I don't do it for that. I want... The love between, I, I, want to, I want to bless her, I want to enjoy her, I want to see her smile. I'm doing these things for the joy of the relationship, not to try to manipulate her into giving me like a back rub or something. You know what I'm saying? The same is true with the Lord. There's the big three, okay? The big three for Christians. Prayer, reading the Bible, and community. Do you have these three things in your life? Reading the scripture. Do you have any kind of reading plan in your life whatsoever? Now, to be fair, I had a good two years while my Bible reading was really bad for a while. My prayer life was going awesome, but I, had, I couldn't find a place with the Bible. I just couldn't find it. I tried to say lunch, but I like eating too much. I try to say like at nighttime, but I fall asleep. So I'm like, where do I put the Bible? So then... I thought I walk my dog every day. And I'm like, usually I walk my dog and listen to like podcasts because they're hilarious. But I'm like, you know, maybe I'll listen to the Bible instead of my podcast. And now my Bible reading is me and my dog in the morning walking. I listen to the Bible in my headphones and it's sweet. It's sweet. Do you have a Bible reading plan in your life? Are you opening this book and letting God's word speak to you in any way? Daily or weekly or monthly. You got to be in God's word more than just on Sundays here. We have a reading plan. If we, there's one outside. You can grab one and read along with us if you want. We're almost in the Old Testament. Right now we're in, we're in Isaiah, which is really cool. Do you read the Bible? Do you pray? In any kind of regular basis, do you pray? If you've got to start, start with meals. It seems lame and cheesy, but you're going to eat. <laughs> if you tie pair to food, it's going to happen, Right? Me and my family, we pray for our meals. Actually, we had to have a rule in our house. If it's a really, really bad meal, we don't pray for it. But if it's decent, we pray for it. If I'm making myself like chunky, like, like chunky soup, 
I don't pray for that. It's chunky soup. But if we have a real meal, we pray for it. <laughs> I'm just telling you what we do. I don't know why we do these things. So, Angie, if you make a meal, I don't pray because I don't like it. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, so, but we pray for a meal too. Like we want to pray as a family. We pray before bedtime as a family. And personally, I have time early morning when no one's awake. Me and the Lord talk. I had a buddy of mine, he would go in his car during lunchtime, and he'd pray in his car, eat his lunch by himself. Wherever you need to put it, you put it somewhere. But do you seek God? Do you talk to him? Do you call upon his name? Do you take all the words of your life and cast your cares upon his feet? Do you talk to him about your heart and how you're doing? I'm, okay, hear what I'm going to say right now. We as a people, as a church, we're not against therapy. Just, you know, I've heard pastors dog therapy. We don't dog therapy here. I went to a therapist when I was in college for anger management. It changed my life. I thank God for that man and what he did for, for me. I was an angry man. I was a violent man. And I met a therapist for a year, and he, he helped me deal with some things. So we're not against therapy here. Just you hear that. I want you to hear that, okay? I'm convinced a lot of us, though, some of us, go to therapy because we don't have any friends. We have no one to talk to. A lot of us go to therapy because we have no one to listen to our hurts, so we just have to be paid someone to hear our hearts. Listen, man. You can pour some of that on God. You can. I'm not saying don't go to therapy. I'm saying both and. You understand? Listen. There are times there are hurts that are so deep I don't have to do with them. You know what I do? I go, Lord, I don't have to do with this. Boom. I cry more alone with God than anywhere in my life. Do you pray? Lastly, do you have community? Do you have spiritual friendships? We can't do this alone. We're Americans. I know we have this false belief that I don't need nobody, nothing. Me and God can do it. That's not biblical. We need one another. When we go through the crap, we're not meant to go through the crap alone. When Angie and I were told by the doctors we would never have children, and we mourned that, and God gave us two wonderful kids, but we were told initially it wasn't going to happen. We got so stuck, we were so hurt and didn't know where to turn, we went to an older couple, and they held our hands, they listened, they shared their own pain, they helped us through that season. There are older believers in Christ who walk with us in that time. It's good to have friends who are Christians. Here at Fun City Church, we offer so many opportunities to meet other believers. We have men's groups and women's nights, and we have couples, and we have just everybody all in. We, we have recovery nights. We, we have so much happening here. Just to give you a space to meet other believers. And listen, you're not going to connect with every person you meet. That's how life works, right? But if you're around other believers, maybe you one person will click and God will bless that friendship. And before you know it, you have someone who just cares for you, knows you, knows your name, prays for you, is happy to see you when you show up. It's awesome. Prayer, the scriptures, and community are these three things 
turned on in your life? Are, are, are they moving at all in your life? Here's what we're going to do. We have this cool altar thing up here that we use sometimes. I'm going to ask Ricky to come up, play some guitar for me, for us. Some of us in this room, there are things in the way between us and the Lord and we know it. There are hobbies gone awry. Got a bunch of my friends right now <laughs> who have made politics their religion. God save them from that hell. If something has grabbed a hold of you and is in the way between you and the Lord, maybe you come down here and you lay it down and say, Lord, this thing, it's in the way. Help me put this away for a while. Maybe you're here and you're missing the good things. You need to rebuild something. I'm not in the word, Lord. I don't, I don't talk to you in prayer. I don't have any Christian friends to talk and laugh with. Whatever your thing is, if you want to come and take a knee and just either lay it down or pick it up, Josiah tore down the aisles and Josiah rebuilt the temple. I don't know which one of those you need to do this morning. I'm going to give some time for those to come and bow the knee. So I'm going to pray, and if you feel so led, you can come to a knee at the front. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for King Josiah, this leader, this young man who loved you, and out of his great love for you, he sought to purify his people and himself. He tore down the idols that got in the way of their worship. And then he rebuilt the good thing they needed to find their way back to you. Help us to tear down the things which should not be and to build up the things which should. Lord, we all need you. And it's hard to find you in this crazy, loud, fast-paced world. As your children come now and bow a knee, hear the prayers of your children. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. God bless you as you come.